Hi, I'm Leslie Ludy, host of the Set Apart Podcast, biblical encouragement for women of all ages. Today, I'm excited to be starting a new series with you called Personal Life Lessons. And I really felt compelled to just share some of the most significant things that I've walked through in my own life and what God has taught me through those things. I know for me, when I hear stories from other Christians and how God significantly used key moments in their lives, it can be such a tremendous encouragement to me and just seeing an example of how God was faithful or how God used a situation to teach an important spiritual truth can minister so much to my soul. And so I'm hoping that these stories will do the same for you. Before we jump in, I wanted to remind you that we have a few spots left in our five-week discipleship training program here in Colorado at Ellerslie. So that is starting in August. And if you are looking for a season to just come away from the distractions of everyday life and sit at the feet of Jesus and connect with other like-minded believers from around the world and grow in your faith, I invite you to hop on to ellerslie.com or you can click the link in this podcast description and learn more about our five-week discipleship program program starting this August. We would love to see you at Ellerslie this year and invest into your spiritual life. So the first personal life lesson that I want to share with you is a message about constant surrender. And this was the theme of my first year of marriage. Looking back at that first year, it's really kind of hilarious because we had such a beautiful love story. It was so hallmarked by the presence of God. Things were just almost magical. They had this beautiful quality to them. Not that we didn't have struggles and things we had to wrestle through in our in our pre-marriage relationship, but really it had this just sort of beautiful sense of God's presence with us every step of the way, leading us, guiding us, and really tremendously doing exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we could ask or think. And so you would think that a a relationship that starts out that way would just, you would just ride into the sunset and everything would be beautiful and like a fairy tale in marriage. And even though our relationship was still very strong, the first few months of our marriage as far as circumstantially, were very bumpy and very unexpectedly bumpy. Some of you may have heard the story, but it's funny because when people read books that we've written, like When God Writes Your Love Story or When Dreams Come True, you kind of picture this beautiful cottage out in a meadow with no conflicts, no issues, no problems. And actually, the first few months of our marriage were were not like that at all. We had moved from Colorado to Michigan, and it was a very small town in Michigan, And it was in the middle of winter. So I went from this beautiful wedding, amazing honeymoon in a warm climate to suddenly being in sub-zero temperatures with very high humidity, which was a type of cold I was not used to in a very small town where I didn't know anyone. And I was away from my friends and family and I was a young bride and Eric would leave every day and take the only car that we had. So I was feeling very isolated. And where we lived the first few months of marriage was in a bed and breakfast that was a very old house that had been kind of restored and transformed into this quaint bed and breakfast on a lake. And it was only used in the summer months because that was the tourist season. But the rest of the year, it sat empty. And so the owners had asked us to live there and take care of it for a very, very small price for living there. And it was really all we could afford. So Eric thought, well, it would be such a romantic thing to live in a bed and breakfast. It was so beautiful when he first saw it. But when I moved there, it was not beautiful at all. It was sort of like 
like this eerie boarded up house on a frozen lake. There were no trees, no flowers, no swans on the lake, like what Eric had seen when he first saw it in the summer. And really, it was this creepy old house. Without all of that beauty, the nature beauty that was there in the summer, it really just felt like a creepy old house. And they really did have most of it boarded up so that, you know, cold air wouldn't get in and things like that. So it was kind of like the setting for a horror movie. And this is where Eric would leave me every day. And of course, this is the before we had a lot of access to cell phones and technology and things like that. So I really did feel very isolated. So that that was difficult in and of itself. But then the trials started. And I remember the first challenge that we faced was that I began to wake up every day with bumps and bites all over me. And I was thinking, well, I haven't been out in the woods, but these look like bug bites. And there were so many of them. Eric had a few, I had tons. And it took us a few weeks to realize that the house was infested with fleas. So if you picture, you know, I've been, I've grown up in suburbia, everything's clean. I've never really even seen a flea up close. And suddenly we're in this creepy old house with, that was infested with fleas and I was getting eaten alive and it just didn't matter what we did. We, we just could not get rid of the fleas. We tried soapy water with a light. You can't squish them. They have to bounce up, hit the light and then fall into the soapy water. But there were so many of them. We just couldn't get on top of it. We tried some chemical flea bombs that didn't even work, but I think I had a, some sort of reaction and got sick from those. And so I started to get sick. I had this weird lung infection. I was in bed. I used up an entire closet full of Kleenex boxes that they stockpiled for the bed and breakfast during the, the tourist season. And I used up all the Kleenex boxes because that's how sick I was. For about a month, I was in bed. And then we started to hear this rustling noise in the fireplace. And I was alone when I first heard it. And I I just felt like, oh, there's got to be some huge animal in the fireplace. And I remember Eric was gone. I couldn't call anyone. I remember through this little board that they had used to board up some of the holes in the fireplace, I saw a claw stick through. So I was thinking maybe it was a bear and I was very scared. I had a, a fire poker ready to defend myself. Well, it turned out to be a family of raccoons that had moved into the fireplace for the winter. They were the ones responsible for bringing in all those fleas. So we couldn't get rid of the raccoons any more than we could get rid of the fleas. And we tried everything, but they were very smart animals and they constantly would escape from anything we tried to do to bait them out. So we had these these raccoons fighting all night in the fireplace. We had fleas all over the house. And then one morning we woke up to the sound of running water in the middle of the night and it all the pipes had frozen and burst and the whole kitchen and laundry room were filled with with cold icy cold water and it took out our washing machine so now we had piles of dirty laundry piles of kleenex because i was still sick fleas and raccoons in this creepy old house and i was feeling isolated and alone and i was kind of emotionally down because <laughs> i had gone from this fairy tale romance to this stark reality of very difficult circumstances. And even though I was very excited to be married and we, we had a great relationship, the circumstances of our lives were very challenging and not what I was expecting for those first few months of marriage. I think you envision as a young bride, you know, a cute little home and freshly baked pies every night or whatever. But for me, this was like survival. And so I remember just crying out to God and saying, Lord, what are you doing? Because I thought you were writing this love story. Why are the first few months of marriage proving to be so difficult and so stressful? And God's message back to me was constant surrender. 
where was I placing my hopes and my expectations? Was it in a specific set of circumstances, a fairy tale little cottage with freshly baked bread, or was it in him, my position in him? I learned that surrender in the area of relationships isn't something that just happens before you're married, where you surrender your future love life to Christ. It needs to happen on a continual basis so that you're constantly putting your hopes and your dreams and your expectations on the altar and saying, Lord, take my life and do with it what you will. And whatever circumstances you choose to lead us through, I surrender to you completely. And that was such an important lesson for me because it's really easy to start clinging to things, especially in early marriage. You start clinging to your ideal of what your home should look like or what everything should be like in your life. And that is where you derive your happiness from or your husband, your spouse behaving a certain way, always remembering to say the right things and bring you presents and bring you flowers and just be very sensitive. Well, you marry a human person and as wonderful as he may be, he's not going to fulfill every dream of your heart all of the time. And so God just brought me back to that place of total constant surrender. Lord, if you desire me to be in this home with the fleas and the raccoons, I rejoice and I receive that as a gift from you. And I just trust my marriage and all my hopes and dreams back to you. I entrust those things to you. It was also a really important reminder for me in those early months of marriage to remember to find my fulfillment and my hope in Christ alone. Because again, it's something I had learned as a single person, but now that I was married, it was very easy for me to look to Eric and everything he was doing and the way he was acting and, and if he was you know, finding the perfect home for us to live in as whether I was truly happy and fulfilled or whether I was miserable and depressed, as opposed to saying my hope, my happiness, my fulfillment comes from being in Christ, no matter what's happening in my circumstances. One of the things I learned so clearly in those early months of marriage is that if you look to your spouse or to a specific set of circumstances for your fulfillment, you will be disillusioned. Only Jesus can satisfy us at the deepest level of our soul. And so I learned how to freshly surrender, constantly surrender my life and my circumstances back to him and constantly run to him for fulfillment, even in the midst of all of these chaotic trials that we were facing. And compared to the trials we faced since then, they seem pretty low level. But as a young bride, they were pretty overwhelming for me at the time. And and I'm so glad that God walked me through that time because it kept me from clinging to certain things, certain hopes and dreams and expectations as my source for happiness. And it reminded me where true happiness, where truth of moment really comes from and reminded me how important it is to constantly surrender even the good and perfect gifts that he gives us back to him. Eric and I eventually came up with a really great solution to all of these problems. We moved. <laughs> we finally found a little duplex. It was very cheap. Everything was very cheaply made. It didn't even have a yard. It just had a dirt plot. And everything was linoleum. And it was teeny tiny. But we were so happy that it didn't have any flus and any raccoons. And so it became a very wonderful place for us to live for that first year of marriage. One of the other lessons that I learned about constant surrender in that first year of marriage happened when we were really thinking and praying about our life direction as a couple. We really felt a passion for missions and we really desired to be on the mission field. Eric had done some pre-med in college already and so he was thinking of applying to medical school. I was thinking of applying to nursing school and our idea was that we could go overseas and be full-time medical missionaries. And that's the course that we were on, the path that we were on 
and we were getting excited about it. And right around that time, we had been asked many times to share our love story, how God brought us together. And we had written a little book about it, not thinking anything much would ever happen with that book, but that book started to get out there. And people started to ask us over and over again to come share our love story and what God had taught us about Christ-centered relationships. And so we were being invited to come to speak at churches and Bible studies. And I didn't really want to be known as a relationship speaker, but so many doors were opening for sharing on relationships, especially to young people, that it was getting kind of hard to ignore. And I remember one time specifically driving down the road, and this was probably six months into our marriage, maybe eight months into our marriage. And Eric asked me, what if God called us to do this, meaning travel and speak on God-centered relationships? What if he called us to this full time? And I remember my initial response was, no way. It was the last thing that I wanted to do. I was on a course for the mission field. It didn't sound exciting at all to be known as a Christian relationship speaker. It sounded a lot more glamorous and exciting to be overseas and rescuing people physically rather than just traveling around in America and sharing with youth and young adults on godly relationships. And yet God was teaching me that that attitude of constant surrender. Lord, if this is the path that you have for us, even if it doesn't seem as exciting as the one that I felt like I was on, I surrender to you. And if this is where you want us, this is where I will stay. And that can be difficult because sometimes we think of going overseas or doing something big and epic for God as bringing great fulfillment into our lives because it's exciting and something we can tell other people about. It's something that sounds like such an adventure. And then if God ever calls us to something a little bit less exciting than that, that can be a, a time when we really need to learn that heart attitude of constant surrender, saying, not my will, but yours be done. It's not just the big and exciting and epic things that we do for God that matter. Obedience, as it says in God's word, is better than sacrifice. So that message of constant surrender was really the theme of our first year of marriage, whether it was surrendering in the midst of those difficult circumstances, those first few months with the fleas and the raccoons, or surrendering our life direction when God seemed to be redirecting us into something that we weren't initially very excited to do. And one of the things that really made it so clear that God's plans for us are good to give us a hope and a future. When we trust, when we surrender, we can know that he will fulfill his purposes for us. He doesn't just take us through challenges just to make us miserable, but to teach us how to become more and more dependent on him. And every time I have ever entrusted my future, my life completely to him, I've always been so much more fulfilled than if I would have just followed the path that I had mapped out for myself. One example of this is when Eric and I first spoke at a, a large church to a group of teens and we shared our love story and it was a two-night event and it was really something that I didn't want to do. I, I didn't feel like these young people were really listening to us and I just wanted to get out of there. They were kind of glaring at us as we spoke and at the very end of the second night, I was so anxious to leave, but there was kind of this ministry closing challenge time. And I was up there playing the piano and Eric was giving a challenge to those who wanted to surrender their lives and their future romance and everything in their future to Christ. And I was shocked to look out and see over 700 teenagers on their faces before God all over the auditorium, weeping and surrendering. 
And once I saw that, I began to recognize that saying yes, having that attitude of surrender and saying yes to where God was leading us would produce tremendous eternal fruit if I would trust him. And it began to change my heart to where I truly desired to say yes to that call rather than just go off to the mission field because I knew that's where he was directing us. I knew that that was the mission field that he had for us in that season. So drawing from those personal life lessons, I want to encourage you, if you are facing frustrating circumstances, or if God seems to be closing doors that you hoped he would open, I challenge you to have that attitude of constant surrender to him. Remember, the Bible says that as we delight in him, he will shape the desires of our heart, meaning he will place his desires within our heart and fulfill them in his own time, in his own way. It is always safe to trust the one who gave everything to rescue us. Hudson Taylor said, let us give up our work, our thoughts, our plans, ourselves, our lives, our loved ones, our influence, our all right into his hand. And then when we have given our all over to him, there will be nothing left for us to trouble about or make trouble about. It's a very peaceful place to be that attitude of total surrender. He gives all and he asks all. As Jesus says in Luke 14, 34, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. And here's another great quote from Lilius Trotter, who was a missionary to Algeria. He is worthy to have all there is to be had in the heart that he has died to win. Corey ten Boom said, never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. And if you really know him, you don't hesitate to surrender to him. The times in my life when I have hesitated to surrender to him have been times when I haven't really taken time to explore who he is, his nature, his heart towards me. Whenever I go to the word of God and ask him to reveal himself to me and I really connect with who he is, I gladly surrender to him because I know that is the safest, most beautiful, most fulfilling place I could ever be in that place of total trust and total surrender to him. So I encourage you to do the same. Cultivate that heart attitude of constant surrender and you will never be disappointed. He is faithful. I hope you've enjoyed this week's episode. We'll go into more personal life lessons in the next few episodes. Meanwhile, if you'd like to go deeper into what it means to live a Christ-centered life, I invite you to visit us at setapartgirl.com and see the many resources that we have for you there. I pray you have a blessed and Christ-centered week.